And if you're not, if you're not a regular here, you, you maybe won't know that when it rains here on this, on this tin roof of this empty warehouse, um, you can't hear what I'm saying. So hopefully that's a bad thing that you can't hear what I'm saying, but we'll see. Let me, let me pray and then um, we'll think about Easter. Lord God, thank you for Easter. Thank you for being able to celebrate Jesus alive this morning. We pray, Lord, help us now as we think about some of the events from that first Easter. We pray you might speak to us through them. Amen. Well, Easter's meant to be a time of joy and celebration. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. My kids were feeling joyful this morning. In fact, they're feeling joyful last night. I think they're getting mixed up between Christmas and Easter. It's like they couldn't go to sleep. I think they thought that we'd, we, we, we could have a lorry load of Easter eggs this morning. They didn't seem too disappointed with the small uh, amount that we had out on the table. But um, yeah, they were feeling joyful. Maybe you're feeling a bit guilty this morning that uh, you've eaten a couple of Easter eggs already before you got here. Or maybe you, uh, you didn't even manage to wait till today. You ate your Easter egg before you got here. An emergency came up one evening. You needed chocolate. It was the only thing in the house. And you intended to replace it. But, but when you got to the shop, they'd run out. So that was your Easter a little bit early. Or it could even be worse than that. I, uh, the other year, Waitrose did a survey. I'm not sure why they did this survey, but it came out on the survey, um, a third of people have, e- have eaten an egg that they bought for someone else. <laughs> now, maybe you're, you know, you're on the way home from the shops and you're getting desperate for chocolate. Um, you know, you, well, you know, never mind, I'll get them on next year. And even worse than that, it said a fifth of parents had eaten an egg belonging to their children. Oh, that is terrible, isn't it? And in the northeast, three quarters of parents had done it. I, w- I went to I went to uh, university up there, and I didn't. I thought they were fine. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm sure that's changed. That was uh, a couple of years ago. That survey. But seriously, though, Easter is one of these times of year, like Christmas, where maybe we can think, yeah, we're meant to feel really joyful. It's time of celebration. But actually, there's. You know, life goes on, doesn't it? There's lots of things that maybe are on our minds. And we think, actually, it's difficult to get excited. It's difficult to feel joyful. Maybe you're reminded of just family issues. When people are talking about, we're going to be getting together with our families. We're going to be doing these great things. And you're reminded of your family. Maybe someone who's absent from your family. And you're thinking, it's not really a happy Easter. But it's worth remembering that the very first Easter day was not a happy occasion to start with. It wasn't like the disciples got up, happy Easter everyone, let's head down to the tomb, Jesus is alive, let's go meet him. No, they weren't expecting it. But rather the day began with tears, with confusion, with fear, with panic. But it ended up being a life-changing day. And we're going to look at one of the Bible accounts of that first Easter from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. And uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, you can follow it through. There's some Bibles at the back um, if you'd like to follow it in the Bible. But most of the verses I'll be talking about will be coming up on the screen as I talk. And we're looking at, going to look at two Easter encounters that first Easter morning of John himself 
who wrote the gospel, and of Mary. It convinced them of the reality of the resurrection, and it led them into a new relationship with God. Resurrection relationship. And these are things not just for them back then, they're things for us today. You might be here someone who's got questions about the Christian faith, about the idea of Jesus being alive today, about being able to know God personally through him. Well, I hope that this is going to help you this morning because I've, I've partly had you in mind, um, not anyone in particular, but I've had someone like you in mind. I try not to look at anyone. Um, I hope it'll help you this morning. Well, you might be a Christian, though. You might be a Christian. You've had maybe 50 Easter's, loads of Easter's under your belt. Well, I pray that this morning God would sort of freshen up, just give you a new excitement about the fact that Jesus is alive and the difference that that makes. So let's first of all think about resurrection reality. And there's something very real as we read John chapter 20 about that first Easter morning because the person who was writing this bit of the Bible was actually there. He was actually there. I might have mentioned that I support Hull City. might have come up once or twice. And, um, but the truth is, I am largely an armchair supporter of Hull City. You know, it might get to one or two games a season, but largely it's a match of the day kind of highlight sort of thing. Uh, maybe listen a bit on the radio, read the paper, that sort of thing. But after the match, I phoned my dad. And there's a great difference between reading about it, even hearing about it on the radio, sort of secondhand, talking to my dad, who normally was actually there. The details of the game come alive. You know, actually, no, it wasn't quite like that. It was like that. Um, We really should have had that goal. Um, All that kind of thing. How biased the ref was. But when we look at these Easter accounts, it's like that. They come alive as we look at them, especially as we look at them closely. It's worth looking at these Easter accounts in the Bible closely because they're written by people who were there. John wrote as someone who was there. And other Gospels are either written by people who were there or had spoken to people who were there. And John is an eyewitness who we can trust. First of all, he tells us about Mary, who came running to John in a panic that first morning. Verse 1, chapter 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. The other Gospels tell us that she arrived at the tomb with some other women, but here the focus is just on Mary. And when she sees the stone rolled away, she's disturbed. What's going on? What's happening? This wasn't what I was expecting. She runs to find Simon Peter And the other disciple is John. That's how John refers to himself. The disciple uh, Jesus loved. That's the sort of uh, way he's being a a little bit uh, humble, not wanting to put himself in the picture too much. But that's him. That's him in his gospel. It's the way he talks about himself in several places. And John tells us, I was there. I was in on the action that first Easter day. Mary came to tell me about the stone. And then we get a a description of a race. So Peter and the other disciples started 
uh, for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I won, he basically says there. Why do we need to know who won the race? Well, maybe that's just what happens many times in the Gospels. You get these little details that you wouldn't put in, um, you know, otherwise. It's just a little detail from the person who was there. Just adds a touch of kind of realism to it. Maybe as John's writing, he's saying, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I beat him. But um, anyway, I'll get back to the Easter story. Yeah, a bit of his competitive nature. Well, when John gets there, we're told he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And it's probably like this. We know this because archaeologists have dug up uh, tombs like this and uh, have seen them. You can go and see this kind of thing. Tomb cut out of the rock. This one seems to have been low, low down. Perhaps I had to sort of look down into it. Maybe some steps going down to, into it. A little room, like a little cave, with sort of three kind of stone slabs cut into the walls. You know, one opposite the entrance and then two on the sides. And uh, John is looking down into this tomb. He can see the bit where Jesus' body had been laid, and he can see strips of linen cloth lying there. They didn't go in for coffins. They went in for wrapping the body with strips of cloth. And if you look actually back in the previous chapter of John, um, you can see that it was a new tomb. We're told it was a new tomb. So there hadn't been any other bodies buried there. There was no kind of mix-up. Maybe some leftover linen from another burial, some offcuts maybe. Um, there's some other bodies in there. Who's who? Who's Jesus? We're not really sure. No, it was a new tomb. So there was no mix-up. And verse 6, Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And what became clear is, is he went in, as you could see properly, strips of linen lying there with the separate burial cloth, which would have been around Jesus' head, was lying there, separate by itself. Some of the Bible translations bring out that it was folded by itself. And we don't hear what Peter made of all of this, but we hear what John made of it. John made of it, it says, finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. But what did he see? Just a load of strips of cloth and another cloth near them. Why does he want to tell us that he saw that? And he believed. Well, one of the things important to know about John's gospel is he wrote the gospel for people who weren't there so that they might believe as well. We'll look at a bit where he says that later on. But why did looking at some bits of cloth make him believe that Jesus had risen from the dead? He was going to meet Jesus later on that day, meet him in person. But what convinced him about the cloths? And maybe what can help us? From this, what is John trying to get across to us? How does it help us today? Well, one, exp- one explanation of why there was no body in the tomb could be that there was grave robbers. It's a common thing at the time, happening Victorian times as well, perhaps for different reasons, selling them on for uh, to medical science or 
that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, grave robbers, they had them at the time. Um, But the presence of the cloths convinced John that the body couldn't have been stolen, that Jesus really had risen. One of the the reasons for this would have been that um, only idiot grave robbers would leave the cloths and take the body. You'd have to be like the kind of Laurel and Hardy or the Chuckle Brothers of the grave robbing world because the body wasn't worth anything. It was the cloths that were worth something. You can read in a previous chapter of John, these cloths were loaded with expensive spices, myrrh and aloes, 35 kilos, that's sort of half my body weight of... of um, of these things, loaded, they're really expensive. To leave the cloths behind with all this expensive stuff mixed up that could be taken off and extracted, taking the body, it's like coming in and stealing the, uh, the jewels. Uh, the, no, Steve, it's, you know, coming in, taking the jewelry box, the plain old jewelry box, and leaving the jewels behind. And in any case, robbers, they're always in a bit of a hurry, aren't they? They don't take time to like, let's remove those sticky cloths. Hmm, don't really want those. Uh, then no, they just grab the body and run for it, wouldn't they? But it was also the way that the cloths had been left. Something about that, that seemed to convince John as well. And that's why he tells us about it. It says, um, Peter saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. There's something special about the positioning of the strips of cloth. That, otherwise, you wouldn't bother telling us about it. And um, it seemed to be that uh, perhaps you can imagine that the strips of cloth that would cover the body were sort of around where the body would have been, and perhaps a little gap, and then where the, uh, the head might have been. We don't know exactly. One of the things we can say is there was something kind of neat and tidy about it. How often do robbers leave things neat and tidy? If I go home after church and uh, I go in my bedroom and I find a stuff strewn all over the place, I probably think that robbers have been in. Or, or my kids have got home first. <laughs> if I go in and everything's neat and tidy, clothes folded up, maybe my mum's been in. Well, no, maybe my wife, my kind wife. Uh, But, you know, it doesn't work like that with robbers, does it? They chuck stuff all over the place. So there was something about it that said to John, no, this isn't the work of robbers. This is something amazing that's happened here. Well, another possibility could be that the, the disciples hid the body. Yeah, that's why it's not there. The disciples went in, took the body away, so they could pretend that Jesus had been raised. But the gospel accounts make it really clear to us that actually, even though they should have done, no one was expecting Jesus to rise. They weren't waiting outside the tomb with the party poppers and the streamers on the Easter morning, ready for Jesus. Ready, the stone's going to come back and, there, yeah, Jesus. And then when there was no sign of him, Jesus, let's roll the stone back. Oh, no, he's a goner. Oh, no, it's not worked. Let's, um, let's hide the body, and then we can carry on. Yes, he's risen. No, he really has. 
No, they weren't expecting his body to be there. That's why they're turning up to put spices on the body. That's why they're in a panic when the body's not there. Everything they expected to happen wasn't happening. It was confusing. It was alarming what happened that morning when there was no body there. And in any case, if they'd taken his body and hidden it, do you think they'd really take all the the cloths off and carry his naked body off somewhere? These These were his friends who loved him. That's disrespectful, isn't it? They're not going to do that. They're going to keep it covered up. So again, it just doesn't make sense as an explanation. And John was convinced that it was none of these things because of the cloths that him and Peter saw. He knew there was no other explanation. Jesus had risen. He was convinced. He saw it and he believed it. And he was a, so he was a seeing and believing kind of person. Maybe you're a seeing, and be, seeing is believing kind of person. Maybe you've got a friend. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've got a friend. Who is that sort of seeing is believing sort of person? Someone who thinks that to become a Christian, you've got to throw reason and sense and proof out of the window. You've got to adopt a kind of, well, I just feel Jesus has risen from the dead kind of approach. I'm sure it's true. I just, I just sense it is. Even if it's totally illogical. If John was, was there, if John was with you and you're speaking to your friend, he would, he would want you to say to them, look at the evidence. There really is evidence for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Well, at the end of chapter 20, John tells us why he wrote all of this stuff down, actually in his whole gospel. Chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs, that's kind of miraculous signs, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, including the the resurrection, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And John is willing to say to us, I came to believe in the reality of the resurrection that day. I'm telling you as someone who was there, so you can believe it too. I was convinced by the evidence I saw. It was backed up by meeting Jesus in person later. It's okay to want evidence. And here it is. What about you this morning? Maybe you're thoroughly convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe it's worth thinking again about this morning. What can I say to someone who's not convinced? Can I get into a conversation? What if someone asks me? What if it, a question just comes totally out of the blue about what we believe? Are you ready to say something about Jesus and why you believe he's alive? It's possible to know God through him. You can say there is evidence Many Christians would say, the evidence for me is not so much these things, but it's because I know, it might sound a bit funny, but I know Jesus is alive in me. Um, I've met him. I know him personally. He's come into my life. I put my trust in him. And now I have a sense that he's with me. <clears throat> he helps me. <clears throat> he's changed me. I know his peace. I know him answering my prayers, I know his presence with me, even in the difficult times. And that's right. That's okay. It's okay to believe that as well. 
And it is often, maybe we, it's difficult to get that across to someone else sometimes, but for many of us, we would say, that's how I know. Yes, I do believe the evidence, the historical evidence, but I also know that God has worked in me, and I can't deny that, and no one can talk me out of that. But it's a good thing. That's a good thing to be able to share with someone. No one can say to, to you, no, no, that's not happened to you. No, God hasn't changed you. You can't argue with someone's sort of personal testimony. Maybe that's your experience this morning. But be encouraged that there is historical evidence to go along with that as well. Have you ever thought of inviting someone to read one of the Gospels? Read the Gospel of John. Um, Saying to someone, I don't know if you realize, but actually they're written by people who were there or who've got evidence from people who were there. Maybe um, you're here as a Christian and you're thinking, you know, to be honest, I'm not as convinced as maybe you are about the resurrection. I do have the odd doubts about Jesus and the reality of his resurrection, some of the implications of that. You, you might even be sitting here thinking, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't want to admit it in church or to my Christian friends, but I have more than the odd doubt. I have quite a few doubts. I have periods of doubt about different things, including this well it's worth going back to the evidence look at the gospels again read these easter accounts it's a good good weekend to do that to reassure yourself to make use of the the evidence god has given you and um it's a great thing to do having doubts doesn't mean you're not a christian saying i'm not going to believe i refuse to believe that's a different story but Maybe we have doubts, maybe we have questions. That's not incompatible with being a Christian, but God has given us a way through that. They talk to someone, maybe in your small group if you're from the church. But maybe you're here uh, this morning as someone who's, who is unconvinced by the reality of the resurrection. Really pleased you're here this morning. You're really welcome. Um, you've already picked up from Christians that being a Christian is about believing and trusting in Jesus to forgive you from the wrong things you've done. To receive Jesus as your Lord, the one who leads your life. And, of course, it makes total sense to think, you think, if Jesus is dead, how can we know God through him? If Jesus is dead, um, well, it's totally illogical, isn't it? But have a look at the evidence. As well as reading the Gospels, there's some really helpful books out there, websites I'd love to recommend. I'm sure Rich would have some ideas as well. Here's a really helpful little book um, called The Case for Easter, written by someone who was a journalist and uh, was an atheist but became a Christian. And this is um, him using a sort of journalistic style to investigate the evidence, some from the Bible, some from outside the Bible, talking to experts I think you'll find it a really helpful little book. It doesn't take long to read. I've got a few copies of this, and I'll leave them out in the entrance near where we have the connect sheets. But you're really welcome. Just uh, take one of those if you feel it would help you. Um, do grab one of those, Case for Easter. Because the resurrection of, of Jesus, it is really important. It's not, a, as we were hearing earlier on, it's not a Christian optional extra. Everything hinges on it for us as Christians. The Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. You're wasting your time, 
Christians because the resurrection, it proves, proves lots of things. A few things it proves. It proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he wasn't a liar, that he really was the son of God, one with God the Father. It proves that the mission that he came on was genuine and it was successful. He, came, he said he came to seek and save the lost people out of a connection with God, out of touch with God. He said he came to give his life so we could be forgiven. And he dealt with and paid for the wrong that we've done that separates us from God when he died on the cross. The resurrection proves that it worked, that God accepted the payment. The payment went through when the resurrection happened. We know it worked. And the resurrection proves that Jesus really can give us a new life of knowing God, being led by Jesus, which goes on forever because he was raised to new life. And if you're convinced of this, it's great to know this morning. It's not flimsy evidence. It's not cleverly invented stories. It's something that we can have confidence about, confidence about before other people. We might be a small group of people meeting here. If you add up all the Christians in Lewis, we're a relatively small number uh, celebrating Jesus this morning. But we can know. We're, do, we're doing it for the right reasons. We're doing it based on reality. And we want to share that with other people. <clears throat> well, it's not simply the, the, the facts, the reality of the resurrection. It's our response to it. And let's look now at Mary and resurrection relationship. So let's look at uh, verse 11. Let's move on to Mary. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. She's still thinking. She's still expecting to find Jesus' body there. She's still thinking it's been moved. She thinks, I need to get it back into its rightful place. Gospels of Mark and Luke, they tell us that she comes to put spices to sort of add to the preparations of Jesus' body. It was her last act she was going to do for Jesus she loved. But his body is gone, and she's heartbroken. What's happened? Well, she turns around. She sees a man there. She thinks he's the gardener. Maybe he can shed some light on what's going on. Maybe they're having a bit of a refurb of this tomb. And they've had to move the body somewhere else, to the potting shed or something, for uh, a brief period. No, it's Jesus, not a gardener at all. It's Jesus. Just by the way, why doesn't she recognize Jesus instantly? It's something that we see in other accounts of Jesus appearing after Easter, uh, when he rose from the dead. Often people don't recognize him straight away. We're not exactly sure why that is. Maybe there was something about Jesus' resurrected body that was different. Like uh, the guys on the Emmaus Road didn't recognize him. Jesus turned up on the beach when his disciples were fishing. So yeah, it's, it's just like one of those occasions. And she says to this gardener, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
And it was just one word. And maybe the way he said it that changed everything. Just said her name, Mary. Maybe the way he always used to say it. And she knew it was him. And she wants to hold on to Jesus. She's lost him once. She doesn't want to lose him again. Jesus said, verse 17, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. And Jesus is probably saying, don't worry, I'm not going back to heaven just yet. There's plenty of time to see me. And the wonderful thing that Mary's relationship with Jesus has been restored. Just to be clear, it's not a romantic relationship, but a deep friendship, a deep uh, relating to Jesus, as she said, as her teacher and her Lord. And there was great joy that morning for Mary, not just because of the reality of the resurrection that she was convinced of too, but of this reconnection, this new relationship, this restored relationship with Jesus. But it wasn't just for Mary. Listen to the message that Jesus tells her to pass on to the 12, well, now 11 disciples without Judas. It's also about relationship. Go instead to my brother's And tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus says some interesting things that speak of a new relationship which Jesus' resurrection makes possible. If you notice there, he calls the disciples his brothers. They weren't physically his brothers. They weren't even his half-brothers. But he says that God is his father and their father as well. And this just points us to an amazing facet of the Easter message. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he doesn't just offer us forgiveness for all we've done wrong, although that's true. He doesn't just offer us an escape from the punishment we deserve because Jesus took it for us. That's true as well. He doesn't just mean that we can know God and have peace with God and help from God, which is amazing and true as well. What we're offered by Jesus is what the Bible calls adoption, being adopted into God's family. If we believe and trust in Jesus, we do, in a sense, become brothers and sisters of Jesus. We share in the family life of Jesus with God as our Father. Being a Christian is not just to be loved by God. It's to be plugged into the loving family of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's to be loved by God in the same way that God the Father loves Jesus, the Son. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 2 says about Christians that Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers or his sisters. So if you've turned from sin, you trusted Jesus, then God the Father loves you like he loves Jesus, the Son. You think no one loves you? God loves you. And it's not just a kind of fuzzy thing to say. He loves you in a very concrete, real way because Jesus died for you and rose again. There's fantastic things to celebrate this morning, whether you've had 50 Easter Sundays Maybe you can't remember your first Easter as a Christian. Maybe you grew up with it. But maybe today is your first Easter as a Christian. Maybe during this last year, you've put your trust 
in Jesus. It's great to thank God, remember what he's done for us. This new relationship, this new connection that we've come into through Jesus. Maybe that you're here this morning, as, as I said before, someone um, who accepts the reality. You might have got the first bit. I accept the reality of the resurrection, but I'm just still not convinced by this thing about the, the reconnection, the relationship with God through him. You've not taken that step. You've not moved into that new relationship with God. Well, what better time of the year to do something about it? Here we are. It's Easter. It might be raining. It might not seem that sunny, but this is a great time of year to reconnect with God, to have that restored relationship, to move into that, that Jesus did everything necessary to make possible. And as we've said before, you can become a Christian even just while we're speaking here in church. You don't have to go off to a special place. You don't even have to say special words. You can say it in your own words. And you need to just say something along the lines of that you believe, you pray and you say, I believe, Jesus, you died for me, that you rose again to give me a new life in relationship with you. God, forgive me for the wrong things I've done towards you and other people. And I want to I turn away from that. I want to live a life where ultimately you're in charge and Jesus is leading things. Sounds pretty simple, but it's life-changing And when we hand over the the keys of our life, the steering wheel of our life to God, something amazing happens. We come alive spiritually. If you were here last Sunday, you'll you'll have known the joy that was in this place. And we had the baptism tank over there. And there was Laura, Lindsay, Becky, and Maddie uh, were baptized. And they were lowered under the water. And raised up again in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we do this because Jesus said this is what should happen to those who become his disciples, his followers. And it's not some kind of random initiation act. You know, like Jesus might have said, um, I want you to go and make disciples. And, and then I want you to tell them to eat five grapes whilst walking backwards under an archway made of sycamore trees. You know, it's not just a kind of like a random thing. You know, it could have been anything. But, we, but he just happened to pick this thing about dipping people in water. It looks a bit weird, but, you know, that's just what it is. We get on with it. No, as many of us know, when we lower someone into the water, their things, it represents what God has done for you if you're a Christian, what God wants to do for you if you're not a Christian. When we lower someone down into the water, we're saying, you've died You've died to your old way of life. This is a connection with what happened to Jesus. You've died to your old way of life where you made the rules. It's been buried, just like Jesus was buried. You've been washed clean. You've been forgiven from all of that because Jesus died. And as we lift people up out of the water again, we're saying you've been raised up to new life with Jesus and for Jesus. The Apostle Paul Put it like this. I think we've got it on the screen. Romans 6 verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And if you're a Christian here this morning, that's true for you this Easter. 
it's a great opportunity to look back at what Jesus has done for you. But also to ask yourself, is that true? Is that working itself out in my life? Am I living a new life? Am I living as if I have a new life? Am I living something that's different from before? Am I living a bit like I used to, really? It's not that much different from before I was a Christian. Am I living that new life with Jesus at the center? Are things slipping back? One of the great things is God never tells us to do anything without giving us the power, the help to do it. It says in the Bible that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And if you're someone here this morning and you think, you know, I know I should be living a new kind of life that's distinctive and different because Jesus has risen and I've risen with him, but I'm struggling. God wants to help you this morning. God wants to help you in the coming days and weeks with the power in you, the Holy Spirit, to live out that risen life. It's a good opportunity just to take some time over this weekend as a Christian and think, am I living that risen life? Are the things that have slipped? I want to live that risen life empowered by God. Jesus, at great cost, dealt with our past, made possible a great future for us. Let's ask him for his help and let's thank him. Let's celebrate. We're going to sing. The band are going to come up. We're going to sing one last song to celebrate and praise and give thanks that Jesus is alive. And it makes all the difference in the world to us. Happy Easter.